Rant time. Harry Potter book release. Don't worry. No spoilers. Showed up at 7 in full costume for a 9 a.m. release. Devoted. No. I was one of the few to dress up, and I was the best dressed. I'm not being vain. I honestly had the most detailed and accurate costume there. We were told in line that the best dressed person in line gets to open the box and have the first Half-Blood Prince book. So, I'm a shoe in aren't I? Wrong. Fucking Moo brings her bratty sprog in at 8.59 a.m. dressed in a generic Kmart cape with stars and glitter and fucking gaudy blah. Twig for a wand. OMG! Widow Plush is so cool. OMG, you can't open the box and have this book you can't read. And fawning, fawning. Blatant breederism, etc. The fucking kid won't even remember this. The box opening was mine. Mine. I wouldn't have minded if someone had said, Oh, look, Sass, you are the best dressed, but would you mind if this landmine amputee opened the box instead? I would have said absolutely no problem. Go for it. But no. Fucking crotch dropping gets the honor. I'm furious. On principle, of course, not out of any sense of entitlement. Well, yeah, entitlement also, but I worked for it. I deserved it. I made an effort. I spent money making an effort. I showed up early. I will remember and treasure this event forever and eternity. And I'm passed over for an ugly little brat with a sparkly tie. Woo fucking woo. I didn't stab her in the eye with my wand. I wanted to. I talked about doing so very fucking loudly. I was going to eviscerate her mother with the cover of my brand new copy. I fucking hate breeders and child lovers. Fucking go to hell. I'm so pissed about this, sorry. It's just that in 10 years time, this kid won't remember what she was doing on July 16th, 2005. In 10 years time, I will be remembering how I was deprived of this nerdly honor by an opportunistic twat breeder and her shitling. I'm hurt. All my life, nothing has gotten to me more than being deliberately ignored or passed over. Honestly, that's the sort of thing that can make me cry in public, or key your car, or viciously murder you and your family in the heat of frustration and never-ending denial. Congratulations, breeders. You win. Edited to add. To all of you who are calling me immature, etc., I'd like to add that you make a very good point, but have you considered go fuck yourself? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm R.S. Benedict. As the world looks grimmer and grimmer, millennials and Gen Xers retreat deeper and deeper into childhood nostalgia. Adults dominate fandoms meant for children, Steven Universe, Young Adult Fiction, and My Little Pony. And within SFF, many writers, readers, and editors have begun to treat all media as though it were meant for children. It must be didactic and escapist and safe. But there are still some of us who want our entertainment to treat us like adults. With me today is writer and artist Sloane Leung. Thanks for joining. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Excited to get into it. Yeah, I'm excited too. But before we get into it, uh, would you like to tell us, well, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about your work? For sure. Yeah, I'm a cartoonist and writer. I draw and write a lot of comic books. Um, I've also recently started to publish my own fiction um, that'll be out like next year through Fireside and Dark Matter magazine. Nice. And I had a book come out this year, a graphic novel called uh, Map to the Sun, which is a YA slice of life book about five girls that are forced to join their school's uh, high school basketball team. Um, And it's about Mm. friendship and rivalries and just me leaning into the fun of uh, the classic like sports manga genre that Japan is so um, famous for um, and that is not very prevalent here in the U.S. So uh, yeah, that came out this year and I'm very excited about it. (laughs) Nice. That sounds really cool. Let's talk about the infantilization of culture. Let's do that. (laughs) I'll start off by saying that I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with an adult enjoying media that's clearly meant for kids. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with an adult who, I don't know, watches Avatar The Last Airbender or something. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. I I fucking love The Dark Crystal. It's very spooky, but it is meant for kids. And I'll watch Mm -hmm. it. I think it's great. But there's there comes a point where when that's the only thing you consume, when the only media you consume is for children, and when you kind of take over the fandom for this media that's meant for children. Yeah. That, I think, is an alarming trend. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was thinking earlier, like, coming from comics, I've also worked in the animation industry. I've done, like, an episode of Adventure Time. So I'm familiar with, like, you know, um, the goings-on behind the scenes as a, like, team of creators or as a solo creator. And just the way readers and Mm -hmm. audiences engage with work is also just very babyish. Like, it's just... They don't, they only want to engage with it on, in the sense of like a checkbox of like weird, like social mm. talking points and not necessarily if the actual artwork or cartoon or book is like good for them or they enjoyed it, you know? Right. I think a prime example, and this isn't like YA, but a, a good example is pe- where people, people were like really into the Mad Max Fury Road for its like feminism for it because it featured lots of women. Right. I'm like, yeah, that's good that it featured lots of women. That's really cool. But that doesn't actually have any bearing on if it is a good piece of art. That's a separate thing, right. you know. But it feels like now it's just very strict, strictly like, okay, is there like a brown person in this piece of art oh okay then it is good and (laughs) i don't know that's just it's just a very strange uh way to engage with art right looking at it as sort of a checklist of of things to get and not so much uh, like a holistic approach i guess yeah uh yeah it's just very it's just very one-dimensional and it just completely flattens the 
experiences that you could take from art if you were to give it, kind of give yourself over to it. And I think this this isn't only like a reader's problem either. Like there was a really good article that came out from Larissa Pham recently about how writer like artists, writers, how they kind of take on this almost like a ironic or like distanced kind of point of telling in order to be like, oh, well, like I want to talk about this problematic stuff, but it's just like an exercise or it's like, you know, I don't really mean that, you know? Um, So I feel like there's this very strange tentative um, tentativeness on both ends, like artists worried about delving too deep into problematic content and the readers too worried um, of engaging with that in some way. Right, right. There's a real hesitance, I think, on both sides to deal with taboo or or difficult or problematic content. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the whole the whole I don't know outrage over Isabel Falls' short story. I sexually identify as a helicopter mm-hmm. is really a great example of that because I felt like she was dealing with something that was really taboo and and really kind of transgressive and I thought she handled it in a really interesting way but you saw so many of the critics who didn't didn't want to engage at all yeah right just kind of shut down and that's a real bummer to see it's one thing if it's like commenters but to see other writers and other editors doing that yeah. To, to a piece of fiction is really disturbing to me. Yeah, definitely. And like, that's a whole other thing is uh, th- that's very prominent right now is the correlation of art and harm and the, right. the moral harm that art does. Um, there's a really good paper. I can't remember the author right now, but if you look up basically art, art harm theory, uh, theory, there's a really good breakdown of like, basically just piecing apart that rationale. Um, like can art, yeah, when art is propaganda, when art is like, um, I don't know, just uh, ironic, when it's parody, and how to piece those apart, and what does harm from that actually mean? How does it feel? And how can you actually, right. I don't know, you can't really say like, this is harmful, because there's no, you cannot put a single, you can't map your experience to everyone else, you know, like for that Isabel Fall story, right. like, lots of people liked it, lots of people took it as like a personal attack. Um, which is valid. Those are both valid points, but um, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's it's one dimensional to to view art purely on the idea of is it helpful or harmful. Um, one of our one of our previous guests, Maddie Lewis, uh, talked about how I think it was in her she majored in literature. Her literature professor urged people to evaluate art on sort of three dimensions: there's goodness, there's beauty, and there's truth. Mm-hmm. And we're only going on the one dimension is mm, goodness mm-hmm. and, and defining good in this extremely narrow way of, is it good for me? Will this hurt me? And will this, or will this help me? And it's defining mm-hmm. hurt and help in a way that I find is very childish. Like it makes me feel good. That's helpful. It makes yeah. me feel bad. That's harmful. <laughs> yeah, and like, that exactly. is how a five-year-old engages with art. This, yeah. this broccoli is yucky. I don't like it. This is bad. Yes, Exactly. This is causing me pain to eat this broccoli. <laughs> uh, right. I've, I'm so upset eating this broccoli. And ooh. <laughs> this broccoli is violence. <laughs> this broccoli is violence to me. Uh, yeah. This broccoli has harmed me personally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like I, I, I wrote about this like in the, I don't know, I think during summer, just like tweeting into the ether because I was just like going crazy, stuck right. inside. But oh, God, just. Yeah. 
I, I it's such a easy binary to fall into of like this makes me feel bad so this is morally bad and the creator is also morally bad and a bad you know a bad person and we need to like um shun them and make sure you know their existence is erased from the internet or whatever and it's just like it's such a crazy atmosphere to be in as an artist right now because like yeah everyone just wants to they just want these pellets of safe you know committee made art they want to turn the crank and for the pellet of art to come out and for them to like be able to like (laughs) it melt in their mouth very easily (laughs) just like really like this is how you want to act when people try and take risks and like I don't know. Yeah, it's just a world of we of weak ideas and weak art right now. Um, Here is my consumer product experience. I would like for it to be a very convenient and very pleasant experience. Yes, this is what I want, and that's not the purpose of art. And overall, there's I've seen expressed over and over that oh well, the purpose of art is to make people feel good. Like no, it isn't. <laughs> that is not the purpose of art. Yeah. I. I, mm, I mean, there was there was discourse recently, in which uh, some people were asking for books to put in one numbers one through five on the cover mm-hmm. to warn people how sad the ending was. One is for very sads, and five is for very happy, and because <laughs> they want to be able to pick up a book and know what emotions it will generate. Mm. What a way to and live. have no surprises. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I don't understand that frame of mind. Like, I want to know how, yeah. like, how bland this gruel is. Like, is there a hint of cinnamon? <laughs> or is it just like, well, it tastes like my tongue. I need to know that. <laughs> right. Right. I don't, I don't like being surprised. Could you not surprise me at all? Yes. <laughs> okay. But there, there's no an instinct to avoid pain and i understand that like sometimes you're stressed out and you want to just have a thing that'll make you feel happy but you know it's a little addictive it's kind of like eating nothing but candy Mm -hmm. like candy's great i like candy but you need vegetables in yourself and and sometimes as an adult you need culturally vegetables Mm -hmm. some work that will astonish you or confuse you or frighten you or upset you and work that embodies the fullness of life a lot a lot more mm-hmm. like steven universe is a perfectly fine show but that's not what my life looks like mm-hmm. that's not the reality of what an adult's li- life looks like and i do commend it for dealing with like lgbtq issues and representation in a way that's very progressive aimed at children but mm-hmm. as an adult that's not what queer life looks like mm-hmm. you're not fu- you're not on magical adventures in space Right. generally and and often it's not as like cute and bright and sunny unfortunately mm-hmm. because the real world has pain in it <laughs> yes and art can help us work through that pain and understand it and when you're cutting yourself off from that you're cutting yourself off from the richness of really engaging with the world mm-hmm. yeah and just like the presence of like you know we're talking about like adults taking over these children's fandoms and it's very strange They, you know, they just suddenly these are like Steven Universe or like She-Ra. Suddenly these are the like foundational texts for their life. And it's very like right. off-putting. And I, I don't understand why or how this is happening. 
Right. And I feel like it's a little unfair to kids, too, because it's like if you're a kid and you want to be in the She-Ra fandom or whatever, you want to talk to other kids about your favorite show, and suddenly there's some, like, really weird 36-year-old person joining the conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? what is happening? Why are you here? You should have a job. What are you doing? Like, yeah, it's weird and uncomfortable, and sometimes it can get kind of serious with issues of, like, people kind of worming their way into these communities to kind of groom younger people or, right. or you know, imagine you're a little girl who wants to look up pictures of your favorite My Little Pony online. You can't now. All you're going to find is like weird fucked up porn. Like, yeah. cool, thanks. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, look, little kid looking up like, oh, I want to write a, read about Steven Universe fan fiction and find like some weird, sad, angst story about bdsm and suicide like cool i'm 10 i'm not ready for this i this is a little much for me yeah (laughs) yeah that reminds me of the twitter thread that like got like i don't know like an hour of screen time on that like got went viral for like an hour or something and it was like a list of like i don't know 500 tweets about like if your care if your villain has killed like more than a thousand people they're not redeemable so don't bother and like all these very strange, <laughs> like uh, these strange, like not unreal rules for writing stories, and it was just yeah, uh, and like not having like I don't know like age gaps or whatever, like the classic weird right. cartoon adult rules. Um, and of course, this person was called out instantly for writing like My Little Pony, like um, rape fan fiction. <laughs> like within minutes of course uh of course it's very strange and i mean i guess i get the compulsion because it's like i don't know when people have no recourse for anything in real life they're just going to troll like that's the only thing that is like a sedative for them Mm -hmm. basically (laughs) when they have nothing better to do and these cartoons are like they're procedurals they're just like comfortable and they're easy to um, take a part and so it's like oh I'll become like a Harry Potter like scholar uh, and everyone's gonna be you know I don't know it's just it's very it's sad it's really sad <laughs> and I think it's unsatisfying too because these people aren't happy yeah as obsessed with it as they are with their fandom they're always very miserable in fandom and really like grumpy and just constantly fucking angry and it's like because I think deep down being a 40-year-old woman who whose life revolves around Harry Potter is not a satisfying life. Like, it's not going to nourish you in the way you need to spiritually be nourished by thoughtful art for adults. It's like, again, the candy thing. You're eating only candy and thinking, how come my teeth are fucked up? How come my stomach hurts? Yeah. <laughs> that That's what's happening. And, and instead of going like, okay, vegetable time, it's just like, you, you've touched my candy. This is your fault. Yeah. You touched my candy. Yeah, exactly. And also I feel like there's a sense of like, you know, people are like, oh, you know, I just want to read like positive stories. You know, I want to go back to, you know, right. nostalgic for times when like, you know, stories had like a magical whimsical element to them. Um, but I feel like as an adult, like, some of that stuff you can't get back. Like, it's definitely possible. But the stuff that is rewarding is stuff that, like, stretches your adult perceptions and your adult adult insights. Things that are, like... And it, that doesn't always have to mean, like, painful death or disturbing subject matter. It's stuff that can, like... Um, I don't know. There's, like literally thousands of things that you can explore as an adult that will give you that same sense of awe and wonder but 
it takes a little bit more effort to i mean the whole the whole genre of magical realism if you want like whimsy and magic but really more toward adults and in a way that's very like thoughtful and often very political and fierce and sensual like bam latin american magical realism there you go Yeah, exactly there you go there it is yeah and it's like yeah that stuff will have (laughs) the the breadth of like human emotion in it but because it has maybe like some like a sad ending or like a depiction of i don't know abuse or rape you're like oh i'm not gonna read that but you've went ahead and discarded you know this entire thing that would actually be not just like morally not morally nutritious but like artistically and aesthetically nutritious for you um as a grown person like (laughs) you're just like oh no I i can't read that it's too sad i'm gonna stick to legendum cora that's for me my fifth rewatch (laughs) Right, and I'm only gonna do Legend yeah. of Korra. I will only watch cartoons. Yeah. Like, what? Are you, come on, you can't even watch The Queen's Gambit. Can't even watch yeah. that. It's chess. <laughs> How scary can it be? It's probably fine. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's yeah. really good though. Uh, yeah, and I think too. Like, I think people, adults, feel safe consuming that as well. Like they, because right. I feel like there's like a good hearts law going on. What you know, like when it measure becomes a target it ceases to be a good measure right so if society Mm. you know if culture is like measuring people on the political correctness of the media they consume then you get people watching cartoons reading golden books (laughs) you know they're like okay i better just stick to uh the mc you know marvel movies because that's you know everyone's watching that that's fine the idea that the media you consume makes you virtuous regardless of who you are in the real world and like yeah Exactly. And then you want to have adult conversations because you're like, okay, this is a children's cartoon, but there's all these hidden like themes, you know, because you're like, kind of covering your your asshole, your intellectual ass a little bit. That's how it feels like. I don't know. And the same thing with like, if you're measuring people on the perceived moral morality of like creators of the media they consume, then you're going to be getting people that stick to art made by committees. So like animation, um, cape comics yeah um you're not gonna want to risk yourself on like solo artists small artists because you're like oh man but what if they're like or if there's like a hidden problematic thing that they've done that i haven't looked up before and like someone calls me out and right i don't know it's a very paranoid and fearful culture we've online culture i should say we've made for ourselves yeah yeah and it's very weird to me too because i mean if you look Okay, you have this individual creator and you find, okay, they made a problematic tweet 10 years ago, but then like you're consuming Disney products. Do you want to know some of the fucked up shit Disney has done in the real (laughs) world? It's a lot of really bad stuff. They they treat their employees at the parks terribly. They underpay them so that they a lot of them have to sleep in their cars. Mm-hmm. They've just completely destroyed the idea of the public domain. Like so, for yeah. for those of you who are very young, um, there used to be something called the public domain, which is that copyrights used to expire. A uh, copyright for a, an intellectual property used to expire after like 20 years, and then it was just free to everyone. Mm-hmm. And Disney has spent the past hundred years lobbying to just kill that. So a shitload of things that should be in the public domain for everybody to use, like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, all that shit should be in the public domain. It's not. It's still owned by a fucking company, even though the people who made it are dead. They are skeletons now. Mm-hmm. They're not profiting off of this. Yep. And and that's just such a, a blow to to everything. Like, guys, you could make your fan fiction canon if it wasn't yeah. for Disney. <laughs> All that weird fucking fanfic you write, that could be officially canon now. 
<laughs> if if it was for public domain, you could write put that in books and sell it. But Disney is stopping that from happening, so maybe you shouldn't like Disney anymore. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but then what will they watch? <laughs> I think it's also very easy to just be like, you know, this is like a faceless corporation. There's no one you can like pin down for, right. you know, their problematic content or the actions that this thing that this company has taken. So they're just like, eh, it's like whatever. But this this yeah. single queer artist over here, they tweeted something weird one time, and I can actually right. make an impact on their personal life by tweeting about it yeah. or you know doxing them or whatever right you wrote a weird story some years ago you 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 liked someone else's booty pick yeah who is significantly older than you and that's an it you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> god um there's also the side of oh is this harmful um but also this is too hard or this is too boring and that's something that's spilled out of out of YA discourse recently um, mm-hmm. this, this is going to be in the d- distant past by the time this episode comes out but yeah. uh, there was a very big public discourse on um, how classics were assigned to read in school are too hard so we shouldn't assign them right? because difficult books are hard and and boring and yeah. it's hard it's too hard so we should give people something easy and it's like bitch learn to chew i'm yeah. sorry <laughs> uh yeah i saw that thread and like the part about that that in- oh sorry, oh no i was just saying like i like i there's a um a tiny mode of truth like yeah we should definitely question the canon but right right um there's also equally as difficult topics in books written by uh historical yeah. people of color um, and that you need to, yeah, like you said, you need... These books are upsetting. <laughs> Let's add some Tony Morrison. That won't yeah. upset anybody. There's nothing upsetting in Tony yeah, Morrison's no, it's totally novels. just, like, happy, happy ending, you know, I'll read it, I'll give it a number yeah. one. Um. They get a, they, she gets a number negative yeah. five. Holy yeah. fucking shit for the bluest yeah. eye. Uh. Jesus. Yeah, I'm also like, are, oh, I mean, are God. they just saying this because they are YA writers and they want their books in there? Like, I can't give them, I can't take this at face value because I'm like, you have a vested interest in getting your books in schools, so. Right. <laughs> uh, right. There could there could be a bit of that. Like, no, you should throw out the, this stuff and force children to read my yes. book and buy several hundred copies yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. Yeah, someone was, one of them was like, Gilgamesh is so long and boring. And I'm like, Gilgamesh is not long at all. <laughs> what are you talking sure. about? Uh, and it's, a lot of stuff happens. There's like, there's a... A dude bangs a prostitute for seven days straight, yeah. first of all. Yeah. Then he gets killed by a bull from space. What a snooze fest. He fucking fights a space <laughs> bull. How is that boring? Like, that's awesome. It has the, the greatest, earliest bromance yeah. in human totally. literature. Like, it's a foundational text. <laughs> I love this. God damn it. Odd. He gets killed by a bull from space. Like, that's Why all is I, that boring to that's you? Like, that's all you need, like, right there. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, I don't get it. And it's like, I, I don't have... I mean, I've read some YA. I don't I don't read it as often now. I don't yeah. have any sort of opinion on if people read it or not. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I watch a million trash movies, like, every year. I, I like watching movies and, oh, yeah. you know, it's the same thing. There's yeah. very often little quality to them, um, but I... They're like sometimes entertaining, and I don't, anyway, I don't care what people watch, but 
I wouldn't like, I'm not trying to like make it like, oh yeah, you should watch every, you know. Right. Uh, I can't think, I'm like blanking on like a million suck directors, but. You should watch every Blumhouse found footage horror movie. All of those deserve Oscars. None of this, none of this other shit. Bong Joon-ho, get the fuck out. We are watching Hell House LLC Part yeah. Three. <laughs> but I'll watch and the that next. That is going to win Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, I'm like watch these these ten movies about um, a haunting over Zoom. They're like peak cinema. Okay, um, and yes. <laughs> like I'm like I watch Unfriended Two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like why? I'm like why do you have first? Why do you have like such immense guilt about it? And then also why do you have to like lionize what you're reading or watching and just like uh it's just like such an insecure way to yeah to like consume things and I'm, it's so i don't know it's very strange very strange to me i'm perfectly happy to accept the fact that hell house llc part three <laughs> is not a great film i watched it i enjoyed yeah. it there's a spooky clown in it it's fine nice. yeah it's good enough for me yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to be congratulated for watching that nonsense. Yeah, yeah I don't... I, I haven't... My So my, like, recent graphic novel is for young adults. It features, like, 17-year-old teens. Um, and it's most, I've mostly gotten great, like, reviews for it. But, like, one thing that I've noticed is a lot of adults and not... Oh, some were teachers, some weren't. But they didn't like that, like, in one of the scenes, the girls are trying to smoke. Oh, that's so real, though. Yeah, just like, like, oh my gosh. You know, it's like fun, exciting, kind of rebellious or whatever. Uh, but these people didn't like that I didn't, like, show that it was bad somehow. Like, I don't know how they would want... Like, they do get in trouble because they get caught because they're smoking during, like, school hours. Right. But that's just sometimes what happens. And I wasn't... But they're like, yeah, you need to, like, put that... There's, like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like, a, a disclaimer that you shouldn't smoke. <laughs> Right. And I'm like, what? Have one of the characters like turn facing the audience, going like, according to medical yeah. research, <laughs> cigarettes increase your chances of lung cancer by percent. Yeah, just like pasting that in there in the middle of the book. Right. And yeah, it was just very strange. Like, I'm like, I don't think people even like, I don't think young adults are looking at books and being like, oh, like this is this is telling me like what is good and bad in life. And I'm going to do this thing that is not clearly marked bad uh, and harmful. Like, uh, I don't know. It's just, I I think it's, it's like very condescending, like both for young people, but also like when people are like, Oh yeah, this is like very harmful. And like, why, like, why are you like reading stuff with that, with this like imaginary victim in mind who is just like made of glass and trauma and like, (laughs) who is five years old, too, because even children are more resilient than adults give them credit for. Yeah, totally. Like, around age 10, 11, you start to understand mortality, and kids that age get a real morbid streak. They get obsessed with death because they finally realize, like, oh, shit, this is a thing that's going to happen to me and my parents. Yes. And they, like, get totally fucking obsessed with it, and it's all, like, every kid turns goth for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it's not. There's nothing wrong with it. It's totally natural. But they're gonna seek out stuff that kind of reflects that. And and the idea that like they can't handle a story where a character dies. Like no, yes they can. They absolutely can because this this is the age where they are, and this is completely developmentally appropriate. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like, totally. E- even even a child is beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had, like, smoking in the book. There's, like, you know, underage drinking. The biggest thing was, like, a teacher-student relationship Ooh. Uh, that the girls are, like, know about. And their friend is involved in it, but they can't. They don't want to, like, obviously tell on her. Um, and they also, right. the girls, like... The girl in the relation, like, not, I don't want to call it a relationship, but in this, you know, toxic dynamic is like, quote unquote, right. in love with this, te- in love with this teacher, you know? Um, and by the oh, end, she no. does like extricate herself from him, but he, like, they're not going to call the cops on him, you know, all, cause all the characters are yeah. like young women of color. And I, like, that reflects my, you know, perspective of like, yeah, no, I don't trust that, you know, I don't trust in the justice, the justice system to like uphold. Yeah. You know, and that's realistic. That's how it often is in, yeah, in real life. Yeah, like these things are going o- to happen. Overwhelmingly, and, that's how it usually happens in the yeah, real world. And like I could make it like, oh, and then you know they told the principal, and then you know they told a helpful adult, and they got the cops, and that guy went to jail, and you know that would have been nice, but that doesn't reflect my reality. And the, you know the story is about me dealing with my reality. Yeah, and not you know not a fable where everyone gets their comeuppance. Right. And for me, at least, as as fun as escapist media can be, when I, fe- when I see myself really reflected in, in art, it's a million times more gratifying, even if it's painful, it just like feeling seen. It's, it's rare, and it's astonishing mm-hmm. and, and wonderful and terrifying. And we deserve it to ourselves to, to seek this out and, and be able to get this. Yeah. And you're not going to get this as a 36-year-old woman rereading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone yeah. <laughs> for the eighth time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Now, we, we've talked about this a little bit more, but um, dealing with taboo topics. Um, I, mm-hmm. I definitely, my both of us, it sounds like our, our work goes into topics that's taboo or transgressive or difficult. And I feel like mm. I've I've been advised not to do that by other writers. Mm. Um, more recently, I was writing a story that dealt with loosely the myth of the changeling, and I was suggested by other people, don't talk about changelings because the history of belief in changeling is rooted in ableism and fear of people with autism. Mm. Not Now, I could understand someone saying, hey, be aware of this baggage that's associated with that because, you know, you might step on someone's toes, so be careful. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a reasonable thing to say. Right. But no, 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 don't touch this at all. Mm. Yeah. At all? <laughs> no, what? No? Yeah, I think that's pretty standard advice nowadays. Like, I, that I find disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, just don't touch it. But I, I want to touch it. I'm I I I want to do that. And there's and I'm very glad I ignored that advice and ended up writing the story because it turned out really good. It's co- I'm gonna plug it now. Nice. It's called the Fairy Egg. It's in the October November issue of the no. It's in the September October issue of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Ooh. And it's eligible for awards this hey. year. So if you want to know if you want to nominate it for the novelette category for a Hugo, fucking nominate it, please. Awesome. Um, but the idea to me, don't touch it or touch this in a way that's very superficial and easy. Um, <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Like, well, oh, is that a cat interruption? That's a puppy interruption. Sorry. (laughs) There's a puppy interruption. Sorry about that. (laughs) 
We are a pro animal <laughs> podcast. I'm surprised you haven't heard my cat screaming yet. He's he's being quiet suddenly. Um, now, a lot of a lot of SFF writers I've seen do want to talk about issues like sexism, like racism, or even like rape culture. But because they're afraid to deal with it in adult ways, we get these very simple fables, these allegories, right. like. So many stories, like Bright is an example of like, what if racism was was orcs? Right. Like, thanks, Max Landis, brilliant idea. Yeah. That's why you deserve money. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, it's turning racism or an issue like racism into these really simple, blunt allegories, which is, it's kind of like handling it like that story about the star-bellied sneeches by Dr. Seuss. Right. And that is okay if you're telling a story to a child. Mm-hmm. But if you're an adult, there's... You need more than this. It levels out social and historical context and material realities. Yeah. And it exists in a way that's there to make the reader feel good without examining themselves. And I'm I'm guessing you have a lot to say about this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, coming from comics, which I feel like are um, pretty traditionally about a singular superpowered good man versus a ugly bad man (laughs) um you know this is very common (laughs) even in artists who i consider to have a more sophisticated sense of storytelling like there's a Mm -hmm. definitely a fetish fetishization of this sort of setup narrative setup right i mean i'm this isn't like a new thing but i feel like it's yeah like people don't want they don't want to be authentic or sincere when they're engaging with something and i feel like that comes back to the sense of like paranoia you know of like the miss joke of yeah. the miss subtext of maybe something that's problematic you know uh so they only feel safe really mm. consuming and making things that are very didactic right like the orcs and how they're like you know mm-hmm. and like that's i don't know i feel like again you can fall like orcs are now like you know they have like a very <laughs> like since Lord of the rings it's a very like um, indigenous influence and in how they're styled. Yeah. And, you know, like there's, you know, all, all of these silly, I don't know, like fantasy tropes usually map onto some ugly real life stereotype that white people have created. But yeah. Yeah. It's just very unsophisticated and childish and it's very tired. Yeah. It's a drag. And and I feel like it kind of helped it. It's fine as a way to teach five-year-olds, but if you're looking at adults, if, if the only purpose of your narrative is to make people kind of feel superior, mm-hmm. like look at that and be like, well, that goblin's getting prejudice. I would never be mean to a goblin. I'm a good yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are you accomplishing with this? It's a lot more potent, I think, if you're nuanced and, and complex in a way that kind of makes the reader examine themselves. Right. And that's incredibly painful, mm-hmm. but extremely important and necessary. And you're not going to get that from like the fucking Obama is a goblin yeah. <laughs> novel or whatever the fuck that thing yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, it's just like straight baby brain, the comfort mm-hmm. of only dealing in, you know, infantile topics with like an inch an inch worth of depth of depth to it. Yeah. I feel, I don't know if there's like this type, a specific type of person that falls into this, but like people that grew up thinking, like being told that they were like so mature for their age, 
there's a sort of like or like a gifted child and you know (laughs) it's not that they are mature it's that they're like well trained you know they're like very dependent on you know they're not sensitive they're dependent on rules and anything outside of that is like it's a bit too chaotic for them (laughs) you know yeah. yeah, you were told you were mature for your age, but really it was kind of like you were quiet and you did what yeah, you were told. exactly. And that's not really maturity, it turns out. That's obedience, and that that is not a thing we need. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Just because you can parrot things back doesn't mean you, like, understand anything, you know? Yeah, and I'm guessing a lot of SFF falls into that, because a, a lot of SFF are uh, shockingly huge nerds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> That's definitely not me. That does not describe yeah. me. <laughs> okay, so why don't we move on to the next topic of what does it mean to write like adults? Or mm. what does it mean to read like an adult? We've talked a lot about like baby brain. Right. But what does it mean to make work that's kind of mature and thoughtful? And I want to stress that it's not about the topic you discuss. It's Mm -hmm. really how you deal with it. Like, I've heard people argue that the series Avatar The Last Airbender isn't isn't a children's show because it deals with serious stuff like war. And, like, yeah, it does. Mm. It does deal with some serious stuff like war, but it deals with it in a way that's very clearly meant for kids. Right. Which is fine because it's a kid's show. Yes. It's great. It is a terrific kid's show. Wonderful children's show. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it is for adults. Right. And so being writing for adults isn't also about putting in as many titties and swears as possible. That's kind of adolescent shit. Although, you know, titties and swears are great. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, like nerdism is about symbology and signifiers, you know? And I feel like that's the easiest form of making a story. And that's what nerds love because it operates like on a level of, of obsession so that you can like, you know, collect the figures and the t-shirts and right. And that stuff is safe. And it's very, very thinking of it in terms of computer programming or a video game. Like you do this to get the magic sword. Yes. And it's kind of like, here's the procedure that I follow and the programming means that this is the thing that will happen. Yeah. And life is so much more complicated and messy than mm-hmm. that. Totally. I, I mean, I think this is just like also, this also goes back to like being unafraid and willing to take risks. And that's what you have to do to make strong, to like make strong ideas, to tell strong, like full stories is you have to take risks. You have to... True artistic risk is also reputational risk. And that's something that's very difficult for people to want to do anymore. I mean, the market's so brutal. It's understandable why people would not want to take risks of losing an income stream. Yeah, totally. That's a big ask. Yeah. And there's just like, there's such a strong, you have, it's a, when you have a strong idea, there's a corresponding like empathy load that you have to do this because the, like weak ideas you can tell they're weak because you're like oh yeah this could be like generated by like any algorithm you know it doesn't feel like it's from mm-hmm. a person um but when you have like the variance when you have the depth and dimension that you know a strong idea and a single mind executing it has that takes a lot of effort to be able to like okay what is this person like trying to say here and i don't know i just think that's really uh, important if you want to have good art you want the audience has to put as much effort you know into understanding and like sincerely engaging with it and it's yeah mm-hmm. and it's like our mm. our work is also like 
kind of kind of like not controlled but like it's in the sea of like perceptual context like people aren't just like taking in you know art and stories they're also perceiving other people taking it in and so Mm. you have this like social connection as well um and so your choices become even riskier because suddenly you have like another avenue of of like um what's the word like not sensitivity but like because everything is inter, right. uh, you know, your readers are interconnected. You're like, oh, but you didn't notice, like, didn't you notice, like, this character said this? And that's, like, pretty problematic. So suddenly you're like, yeah. you know, this thing that you thought was like, oh, this is not a big deal. And they're like, oh, actually, someone caught this. And now, yeah, I agree with them that this was, like, problematic. And, right. um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting atmosphere to make things in. There's, like, a lot of, like, it's like a creative evolutionary pressure uh and it's kind of like bearing down on any anyone who wants to take risks with their art or you know touch on topics that are difficult yeah and i feel like at least in social media there's a really good way to gain clout is to like attack another creative for doing something Mm -hmm. naughty yeah it's like it's like people kind of treat it as like Okay, first day in a prison, start a fight with someone to prove that you're strong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that way people won't fuck with you. Like, that's that's how, like, publishing, is, that's how people treat it. Like, I don't want to treat it like that, as cantankerous as I am. I don't want to look for examples of, like, ah, a character used a no-no word in your story. Obviously, yeah. you fully condone this behavior. You're a bad person because portraying something is condoning it. Of course. Uh, yeah, my favorite. <laughs> my favorite take. <laughs> I Honestly, I feel like it's even more important to show unreliable narrators or protagonists who are deeply flawed. Because it's like, if all of your the books you're given, the idea is, here's the protagonist, this is the good guy, yeah, you, this is your role model, then that's how you kind of start to see everything. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And you don't critically examine anyone. And it's it, it makes you way easier to lead it makes you way easier to sort of deceive and overlook somebody else's fault yeah faults and flaws and it makes you a lot easier to be a victim of propaganda yeah totally it doesn't teach critical thinking at all it's very dangerous i think to raise people purely like yeah for sure like you look at propaganda art like the hero's not flawed he's always this empty perfect guy yeah you're not supposed to criticize him at all and (laughs) no He's the perfect man. Because because that it's supposed to build mindless followers. Yes, exactly. Um yeah, I was just, that made me think of um Russell Williams. He made he did this uh on LA Review of Books uh an article entitled Against Happiness that I really liked and he was just talking about how mm. books that like kind of like make you feel bad. Oh, hold on, let me let my dog out. He's crying. Sorry, what's Oh, he's whining. Don't cry, baby. Sorry. Oh no. My, I, I realize my audio might be a little muffled too because I've got a cat between me and the microphone. He's currently in my lap, being very cute. Sorry about that. Being a baby. Ugh, That's such okay. A major baby. The cat has been messing with my microphone, and if you've heard like a little like weird sort of jiggling sound, that is the cat shaking oh. his head. <laughs> cute. You might hear that. He's in my lap, being very blissful, and my arm is falling asleep Aww, because I am holding him. A cuddle bug. <laughs> <laughs> he is a little prince. He is a oh, baby. Love a baby. Okay. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so this article, it's called Against Happiness. 
Um, and basically he talks about how the feel bad film, he's talking about movies, but uh, it creates and then kind of deadlocks our desire for a catharsis. Yeah. Um, and when you're not, you know, when you're not framing um, stories in these very easy to uh, digest ways, you're encouraging, like you're saying, critical thinking, you're, re- you're reflecting, you're realizing the like disparity of you know, patterns in mm-hmm. life. And that can be really liberating. And it can also like what you're saying, like translate over into rad- more radical thinking, you know, when things aren't framed perfectly for you. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that really staunch leftists and radicals, the movies they tend to make, the stories they tend to write don't end happily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot yeah. of the time. <laughs> I mean, the guy who made, uh, what is it, 120 days, I might be using the wrong number, 120 days of Sodom, Oh, like, yeah. It's the most fucking horrific film ever. He was a staunch leftist, gay rights activist who was murdered by literal fascists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the dude was, he was legit. He was the real shit. And that is the bleakest, most fucked movie that, oof. Yeah, totally. Yeah, when you're able to, like, you know, set up these, like, transgressive, you know, challenging, like, not frames, but, like, like the lack of frame itself that like that lets you like kind of suspend your judgment um that can do so much it just does so much more work and offers so much to you there are certain things that okay maybe the book doesn't like slam your dopamine button Mm -hmm. every two seconds but i know i sound like calvin's dad or something but there is this (laughs) incredibly rewarding feeling toward working through something difficult and really unlocking its secrets that's just absolutely delightful um in in the notes of this episode i'm gonna link to a really great piece from new yorker about um henry james and the great ya debate Mm. and there's this overwhelming tendency in in culture to talk about adulthood like it's solely a burden Mm. like it's Mm -hmm. only a tragedy to be an adult and we need to remember that there are rewards to adulthood too like being an adult means you can drink coffee and really appreciate coffee (laughs) you can enjoy olives you can smoke cigarettes maybe you can drink alcohol you can have sex Mm -hmm. you know there yeah it's not like candy and cartoons all the time but there are these really deep rewards of adulthood and it's worth it it's so much more satisfying to be a grown-up (laughs) yeah totally yeah that's such a that's such a good point and like yeah i feel like the 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 denigration of like adulthood is also just a way to like shirk responsibility for your actions your like yes your the stagnation of your own mind (laughs) and like yeah i don't know yeah yeah that's a good article yeah that's that's something i want to get into a lot actually um now, I understand why people kind of kind of want to regress into childhood, because, like, the world fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, shit's hard. There's a plague. Everybody's out of work. Like, the oceans are getting really hot. It's, it's terrifying. And I un- completely understand wanting to curl up into a fetal position under a blanket. Mm-hmm. I fully understand that. But I think it's really important when we're, we're looking at this and trying to comfort ourselves to ask, whom does this infantilization serve? Mm-hmm. It does soothe you. It does soothe you, at least temporarily. But looking at the world, looking at power structures, who does this serve? Mm-hmm. This and 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 one thing that can help is to look at like money and kind of who's 
pushing this like the the if 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 you if i want to put on my like very leftist blunt hat say like the evil corporations that are ruining everything like they're perfectly happy to help us do this Mm -hmm. like corporate marketing they love to use this like cute twee kind of precious speak in ads or in apps you know the duolingo owl bounces up and down and tells you like great job you're learning new things and like grubhub will be like you've had a bad day you deserve a treat You are good. You can have a treat. <laughs> ah, sorry, my cat is sh- is stirring right now. He heard the oh. word treat, and he's like, treat? What? He's like, tell me more. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got your hopes up. I'm sorry, kitty cat. Yeah, that's so true. People are very, very happy to sell it to us, and I feel like it's really important to look at this historically. Like, look historically who has been treated like a child, who has been infantilized mm-hmm. throughout history and how and why and it's never a good thing like the status of women all the fucking time you know women treated like children in the victorian era like no women are too fragile that's why they shouldn't vote it it will hurt them women Mm -hmm. shouldn't be able to ride trains because you know that your uterus will explode if you ride a train going over (laughs) 20 miles an hour and yes the doctors actually said that this was true Um, i'm not making this shit up (laughs) um even today like if you, I, I I do a lot of looking up of like recipes and especially I try to look up I try to eat healthy so I look up like healthy recipes and so much of it is written aimed at women mm-hmm. in this weird like sexy baby voice mm-hmm. where it's like hey girls this these super yummy treats will give you a, a nummy flat tummy oh, and I'm God. like what the fuck <laughs> I am a grown woman Horrific. I don't have a tummy I got a stomach I got a gut I I have perhaps a fupa if i'm honest with myself <laughs> like i don't have a tummy i'm a i'm i'm grown please talk to me like a woman yeah. not like a like a weird little <laughs> kid that you're trying to seduce yes Ugh. and and i know and women also sometimes fall into fall into the like sexy baby voice i kind of fall into it sometimes i realize when i'm like delivering news when I'm delivering information that I know is going to make someone in authority angry. Mm-hmm. I'll sometimes my voice will get kind of high and I'll do a lot of up talk and sound yeah. like a, a girl and I realize I'm doing it and I fucking hate the fact that I'm doing it but I am doing it and I understand why I'm doing it because it's like please don't take me seriously enough to get mad at me and hurt me. Yeah yeah and like I, I, I can't blame people for using that because I mean I fucking use it sometimes too involuntarily even when realizing I'm doing it and hating myself for doing it yeah mm-hmm. but it's a symptom of something that's bad it's a symptom of like this is not this is not empowerment yeah no. it's <laughs> fear a, a child woman <laughs> it is fear like the fact that we have a term man child we don't really have the equivalent for women kind of tells us like we don't really want women to be adults because we don't want the maturity and, and strength of adulthood yeah. in this group yeah for sure so i think another like another really big example is just through racism with imperialism i mean rudyard kipling in his poem white man's burden referred to ooh, cat okay cat gotta jump <laughs> referred to the people england was you know invading and committing genocide against just half what is it like half savage and half child mm-hmm. because if you frame people as children it means like well you they need us to guide them and teach them you know quote unquote 
civilization because england's a fucking great cultural example to follow it's such a good culture yeah it's like <laughs> island that's populated 90 percent of like turfs i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah and and in the u.s uh, martin luther king talked about how it just frustrated him so much to always be addressed as boy mm-hmm. like no matter how old he was you know, a white person would always address him as you there, boy, not sir, not mister, but boy. Like, there's a reason civil rights activists held up signs that said, I am a man at rallies, not signs that said, I am a small bean. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I, <laughs> I just saw a tweet that, like, exemplifies this, that going around, it's like, someone's like, please police reform please and then there's a tweet like screen captain it's like 10 instances of tom nook being racist called out like you know <laughs> like okay but please can i have police reform <laughs> like uh, yeah right and and just in general like i understand the impulse toward infantilizing yourself or retreating into childhood but you have to look at where this is coming from and who wants this and when you do that, you see, like, a rather sinister pattern. And Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, I understand that it's hard to resist that, but when I see people willingly, happily, gleefully participating in their own infantilization and even fighting against someone who argues, you know, you got to grow up, like, I find that so disturbing. Do yeah. not participate in your own degradation and disempowerment. Yeah. Don't fucking do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like... I mean, like, in comics, I feel like this manifests in a very, like, you know, people want more, like, representation, which, of course, you know, valid, valid want. But instead of, like... Yeah, it's a good thing. Not, like, making your own thing, but the thing, the the strategy that is chosen is to get into fandom, and then you kind of, like, rally for, like, these giant, you know, franchises to include you. And so it just, I don't know, it just doesn't mean anything to me when you have, like, okay, this, like, like Captain Marvel is, like, an, a little Indian girl now. Don't don't worry that it's funded by, like, the Navy. Or the, Raytheon or whatever. Yeah, the military or anything. <laughs> Look at you're represented. Like, <laughs> there's just, like, this, like, dissonance that I see right. totally ignored just because you're like, oh, a, a brown girl like me. Yeah. Now I can be a mascot for the military industrial complex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. An- another side of that too is I feel like there is a vacuum of art and culture that respects its viewers mm-hmm. as adult and if we don't fill that vacuum someone will and I'm I think there's a threat that the people who do fill that vacuum might be fucking horrible reactionaries. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like and corporations. <laughs> right. Awful corporate people who do not want the best for us. Like, I, I do think a reason why Jordan Peterson appeals to people, and I think Jordan Peterson's fucking appalling, but he mm-hmm. does address his listeners as men or as people who can grow up and be men. Mm. And that's so appealing to if yeah. you, the whole world infantilizes you and treats you like a little, a little small bean to have someone say, like, no, you are a man. Yeah. <laughs> Stand up straight. Like, that, that's, yeah, that feels really fucking good. Yeah, totally. And you need to get, and people need to get that from somewhere that's not, like, a crazy benzo lobster, 
like chaos dragon meat man yeah you know like <laughs> they need to get it from something good and not from that yeah definitely <laughs> i'm just like cringing thinking about that and and you you mentioned the abdication of responsibility mm-hmm. uh do you want to talk about that a little bit or because oh. i've been talking your ear off oh no no it's all good well i i just am agree, i agree with everything you say um yeah yeah i mean okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just, again, just like this deeply instilled fear, um, social fear of taking charge of anything of, Mm. I don't know, also kind of making like, maybe your like mental illness or other things part of your identity. Like, oh, I'm I'm too like, like, I have anxiety. So I can't, you know, do these adult things. I can't like, take care of things. I can't like, I can't handle protests. Like, And I think that's another interesting thing that's kind of developed within maybe the past decade is is like kind of like a therapy culture well, where people have the language of like trauma and, you know, PTSD and people have more like granular um, vocabulary surrounding that. But I don't feel like that's, I don't know, like it's helped at all. Like I feel like you're just like, like it's just more right. excuses. Um, not that those things don't exist, right. but... Yeah, yeah, they're real. Yeah, it just seems like they're more prominent now and when people discuss what they can who they are and what they can do. Right. Like I'm sorry I can't boycott Amazon because I have yes. anxiety. Like cool, thanks. <laughs> yeah. That's helpful. <laughs> Thank you for that. Or which and it's so contrary to to actual mental health like research which there's a shitload of studies that show that when you become a part of your community and you help other people, it is really good for your mental yeah, health. Yeah, totally. Like, this is not, this is, I am not making this up. This is extremely real and just about, like, on a spiritual level, on a scientific level, like, do, doing stuff, like, volunteer work is really fucking good mm-hmm. for you. And it also helps you meet some really wonderful people who, and build a community that and that's also very good for you and it's a lot better for you than staying home alone and watching steven universe yeah. again <laughs> yeah uh i know being tra- yeah being a homebody and like spending most of your life on social media i feel like that's about 90 percent of the problem <laughs> with right with this. and i mean during the pandemic it of course this is extra bad because like we kind of can't go out much yeah although um yeah I have been I have been once a week going out and doing some volunteer work just because it's like I know if I don't do this I will just like fall deeper into the well of crazy. Yeah, totally. You know, <laughs> and it it absolutely is a lifeline and like really seriously encourage people to to do that mm-hmm. and not just retreat because it is so much more rewarding yeah. to just spend a couple of hours like helping people giving giving food to people who are hungry like that is such a cool thing to yeah. do and very gratifying mm-hmm. totally and also like you know like i i have my own mental illness i have depression and like you know these like stories oh, yeah. that are you know like if i'm watching like i don't know uh, moana or something like that's not gonna teach me that like Right. actually you're gonna perpetually have this disease and it's gonna be a struggle you know like it's just like oh yeah you try you know just give it your best shot and you'll probably you're gonna succeed like you know these very flattened idealized no, narratives and like <laughs> i'm like oh okay that's not true <laughs> yeah right and they they kind of sting worse when you're like really really depressed yeah. it's like 
it's like being a hungry shoeless orphan looking in the window of a rich person's house seeing everybody feasting (laughs) and then it starts to rain on you it doesn't help you to know that like wow that turkey they're eating is really good it's like well i can't taste it (laughs) i don't fucking care this isn't helping yeah exactly Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, yeah, those sort of stories can be very discouraging, I feel like, for a lot, for people that are already struggling with feeling like anything they do doesn't matter, um, which I think is mostly right. true. Our, our world is mostly controlled by giant companies, <laughs> just literally destroying the right. world, so I can see how that, uh, it is totally valid to feel that way and, and true, but also, yeah. Yeah. And it makes it worse too. Like if you're if you're happy to just like no, I'm just gonna rewatch. I'm just gonna rewatch Mulan and stay inside. Like <laughs> yeah. that's as opposed to using what little what limited power I have. Like it's just gonna it's gonna make things worse. And yeah, mm-hmm. I I know young adult novels teach us that attractive teen girls and the two hunks she has to choose from can save the world. <laughs> But in the real world, it's mainly adults who have to do that in these painfully slow ways. Yes. And that, I think, is the other side of this infantilization. If you're you're abandoning adulthood, it means you can't be part of the solution anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that uh, adults, you know, like we have this whole thing about now, like Greta Thunberg will save us, or briefly, the, the Parkland teens will save us. It's like, you don't ask a 17-year-old who's been through this horrific trauma to save you. What the fuck? Like, seriously? You're going to ask a kid who, like, had to cower in a bathroom listening to gunshots? Like, oh, you saved me, kid. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) That's the most backwards shit. Sociopathic, really. Yeah, it's it's awful. Or Greta Thunberg, whose whole thing is pleading with the adults in power, like, hey, fix shit so that the water oceans aren't boiling when I'm an adult. They're like, cool, we're going to draw a mural of you. She's like, no, that's not. (laughs) I don't want a mural. I I want you to fix things. Like, we think you're cool. We're going to sing a song about you, Greta. Greta, you'll save us. Like, no, (laughs) you are not listening. Yeah. And and it's so unfair, to, like when when the adults don't act like when the adults become children, that kind of means like the children kind of have to grow up a little too mm-hmm. fast, and and become adults. Yeah, and that's not fucking fair to them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, it's it's not fair to the Parkland shooting teens or to Greta Thunberg that we're all like, save us, literal child. Yeah, <laughs> from our fucking couches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's yeah. There's like this sort of like. Besides the performative, like, aspect of it and the, like, self, like, self-effacing, like, oh, I couldn't, you know, we've ruined it, like, I can't do anything, yeah. like, it's up to them. Yeah, the, this yeah. this mindset isn't helped by any sort of young adult, you know, the standard narrative framing that is used for that, like. <laughs> right. Uh, I will single-handedly save the world and pick one of the two hunks and everything will yeah. be awesome. And in real life, <laughs> activism is incredibly slow and frustrating yeah. and you make very little progress day to day and and it's incredibly necessary and important, but there's not like one great big climactic moment and then it's like, okay, we're done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't have to do this anymore forever. Everything's fine forever. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, when you when you're strictly reading stories that are all about like 
instant payoff and like maximally expressive you know characters then you're like what life is like about endurance and like eating shit and doing that over and over again what (laughs) it doesn't prepare you for it and it in in comparison the world looks even worse so you avoid the world even more totally and it just cycles more and more and more until you're just completely checked out and you're only I don't know, activism or engagement with the world is to like yell at 12 year olds on the internet because their fan fiction of Korra was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> or to, uh, uh, and it's no good. And it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's rough out there. It is rough. So in conclusion, um, grow the fuck up for your benefit, uh, for, for the benefit of the world. And because being an adult is actually pretty good a lot of the time, even though there's more responsibility. Okay. Well, why don't I phrase this in a way that an MCU (laughs) fan could understand, you know, with great power, there is great responsibility. Ah. However, also with great responsibility, there is great power. Nice. You can't get that power. You can't be empowered without taking on the responsibilities of adulthood. Mm. And that, can that includes what you're feeding your head so go be an adult watch a depressing movie uh read a book that has a downer ending and then like go help at a food pantry or something yeah because there's a lot of people in the world who are going through some real shit right now and if you have any ability to help them you know help them totally yeah (laughs) don't be afraid (laughs) that's that's my big thing is just like people are so afraid to just like just be sincere, <laughs> you know, without like a veneer yeah. of like irony, just in case they slip up and say something. Just be like right. open to having experiences. I mean, we're talking about, you know, writing. So have have an experience with art, with books. Like, yeah, don't be intimidated by them. Yeah. If there's a story you're afraid to write, write it anyway yes. and see how it turns out. Totally. You, you can write a second draft. If it's something that's taboo, like still try it. It might be fucked up, but you can look at it and fix it and maybe get a second opinion and from from someone patient and understanding and, you know, figure out how to how to get towards something better. And and that's good. Don't like just run away from any creative or or artistic challenge. Don't fucking do that. Yeah. And like no, nothing that you could do that is like offensive or problematic it's nothing new this you will never come up with something that's a new horror for people (laughs) which i feel like that's what most that's like the mindset for most like creators are like oh but what if i mess up and it's just like you know i've done all this i'm like no there's only so much you're not gonna you're not that genius that you're gonna come up with a new way to like torture people like it's just gonna be a passing offense maybe at best (laughs) I've invented a new strain of racism. Like, wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 19th century scientist time traveling oh to God. our era. <laughs> I'm mad at the slobs now. Uh, yeah. No. Lean into it. The Dutch canceled. Yeah. <laughs> Take risks and accept that sometimes it, it will fail. And maybe, maybe that story that you end up writing won't really be publishable but you can recycle some of the stuff from it you can use it to work through something and then go towards something that really is great Mm -hmm. because that's how you grow and growing is good growing is good growing is good (laughs) (laughs) all right 
Now, uh, before we go, where can our listeners uh, find your work and support your work? Sure. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Sloan Sloan. My name is S-L-O-A-N-E, so just Sloan Sloan twice. Um, SloanSloan.com is my website, and I have a podcast called Salt and Honey, um, where me and my friend Leslie Hung, who's also a cartoonist, she draws Snot Girl. Um, we talk about movies, books, <laughs> uh, comics, and why they're good or not. Um, so just like craft stuff, craft yeah. talk. That sounds great. Awesome. And I will include links to that in the uh, episode description. So check them out, awesome. listeners. Thank you so much for coming on yeah, the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was great. Yay. And we'd love to have you back anytime. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I love to yell. Thank you for yelling with me. (laughs) Yeah, yelling's fun, especially like during the pandemic. It's like talking talking to a person. Yes, I remember this. Talking to people. Holy shit! Yelling at something other than my cat. That's pretty cool. A conversation beyond like, "Are you a pretty baby? Are you a baby? You are a baby." (laughs) Thanks for joining us, and thank you, audience, for listening. That's all for this episode. If you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com slash writegood, that's R-I-T-E-G-U-D, and subscribe. Subscribers get bonus content, early access to regular episodes, and an invitation to the Kitty Sneezes Discord, where we hold group writing sessions and stream movies and generally goof off. And be sure to check us out next time, when Carlo Yeager Rodriguez returns to talk about writing the invisible. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep writing good. KittySneezes.com in color.